Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 50 for subscribers of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez, which if you did not hear the show yesterday, you might be surprised to hear my voice, given that my last official day as the co-host of the DNB was last week. But you may also recall that Brad's father was ill. And sadly, over the weekend, Brad's father died. So I'm going to fill in for Brad a few days this week. Um, I filled in yesterday. I'll fill in today and tomorrow. Then I think he's probably going to take still a few days off. I can't do the rest of the week, but he'll be back before too long. And then next week, I'll be starting my morning mini pod on Tuesday, May 10th, as I had planned. It should be in, in the feed by 5 a.m., so please be sure you are subscribed to the free feed if you want to continue to hear my content. Even if you're a patron, you'll have to resubscribe to the free propaganda report feed on your favorite podcasting platform if you want to hear my daily deep dives. Or if you are a member of or you want to join rockfin.com slash propaganda report, all of my content and Brad's content will be there. And we're going to keep doing the deepest dive of the month basically there. So uh, that's the only place you'll probably get everything. But so uh, if you would, would not mind, please resubscribe to the free feed. And if you do join Rockfin, you will have the pleasure of getting the material from our favorite substitute co-host, Cam Harless, and his partner, Jessica, who do rockfin.com slash the mad ones. And that is a very long-winded way of saying, hello, Cam, how are you? <laughs> how are you doing, Monica? I'm excited because actually tomorrow night we're talking to a, a guy named GW who is a, an embalmer and an autopsy tech. Wow. We, yeah, we, we've, been trying, we've been trying to talk to someone about death who has hands-on since like last October or September-ish, and we could never find someone. So we finally found someone. And so if you have questions about death, it's kind of an odd moment for this to be our topic this week. Um, oh, yes. Sad. But it was all uh, set up, right? Yeah. But if you have any questions about that, let me know and we will we'll ask tomorrow night. And it's so, you know, it's such a, I was reading the Jordan Peterson book, which I'm doing with Maddie. We're doing like two chapters at a time. You're Vixen. <laughs> uh, so not your Vixen, but your associate, a Vixen voluntary vixen. So that it was in the course of reading that book, I came upon a line, which I thought was like insanely brilliant, but rarely spoken. I never heard anyone say it before that the two greatest fears are death and social embarrassment. Mm -hmm. And I just, that was so true. It's so true. And obviously people know we're afraid of death, but it's such a, it's it's such an all-encompassing like backdrop to our worldview, yet we don't really approach it with courage, you know. Yeah. And that, I think so. I think it'll be interesting talking to your guy. Listen, I'll listen to. It. Yeah, well, and in part, we we did have someone that we talked to about death previously, but it was kind of more the cultural thing about it because right. we don't like talking about it. We right. don't like looking it in the eyes. We had people who watch the show regularly skip it because they didn't want to hear about it. And yes. it's like, these are conversations that need to come to the forefront because people need to know what you want to happen when you die. My nephew was dying of cancer. He did die of cancer. And he was a big Beatles fan. And he said, George Harrison got it right. He said, 
be prepared. Yeah. And so my nephew just spent a lot of time preparing it. And that took like that courageous, wide open approach to just the subject. I guess the first step is to not be afraid, but it is a sad coincidence that happens to be this week, but let us change uh, the direction of our, yes. of our <laughs> mood. And uh, I will say that speaking of lot of, Death, let's also speak of life. The pro-life crowd is probably very excited about the leaked Supreme Court supposed draft opinion, although Robert said it was, in fact, a draft opinion, so they verified yeah. it, which they really shouldn't have given it the satisfaction of that, but saying that they were going to overturn Roe versus Wade. Now, this is a big subject, so we're going to save it for the deep, deepest dive of the day. And so it's going to be the last story, but we're going to leave a lot of time. We both have a lot of material on this. Both have strong opinions. So we will get to that. And But first, there were a lot of other little stories in the news that I think we can weave together and um, stay apprised of what's going on in addition to that big su subject. One thing that I, uh, there was a huge article in the Wall Street Journal today about wheat and grain and the problems that Ukraine and Russia are causing for that element of the food supply. If you haven't notice that food shortages, food supply issues have been in the news. It's getting to the point where people are really getting worried about it. And you can see that although it absolutely seems like an operation, it seems like an operation to me, it's very clear that real steps are being taken by the powers that be to actually make this happen. And I'll point out a few of them. One is, if you remember during COVID, beef and pigs were euthanized. Now they're claiming because of like workers weren't there to kill them or whatever. Now they're claiming that the avian flu is responsible for killing tens of millions of chickens and turkey, which it's like, and they're doing it through PCR tests. So they're not even saying they're necessarily sick. Then now with the Ukraine thing, they're talking about, they, in that article today, it was all about grain, but also a big problem that not everybody covers is that a lot of fertilizer comes out of Ukraine and Russia. So Africa, for example, uses the kind of fertilizer that comes out of there for, I think, 70% of their crops, and that's being disrupted, but it's, a, it's, an, you know, it's an issue a little bit back from the chain, so not everybody's seeing it. And then uh, you know, I, I noticed another story from the other day that the Amish are even feeling supply chain issues and making furniture because you wouldn't believe it, but like knobs come from China or whatever. I mean, they're trying to drag probably the most autonomous society in the world into the supply chain issue. It just really reminded me of one of the seven calls to action on Johns Hopkins website about uh, what came out of event 201. And one of them was to make sure business owners really felt the pain of not having these, what they call something like preparedness policies. So they were talking about the pandemic, but they are absolutely in that Amish article. It talks about how even these highly autonomous manufacturers were trying to um, bring resilience into their supply chains. And I feel like there's a lot of big picture stuff going on here, but another scenario event it reminded me of was the 2010 Rockefeller Foundation. I put all this stuff in the show notes where they talked about how different scenarios would no matter what the scenario is, they could still use it to serve their purposes. And the one it, this one reminds me of is the hack attack one, which is an economically unstable and shock prone world in which governments weaken, criminals thrive, and dangerous innovations emerge. And I believe one of the earmarks of that 
was how like information and transportation would slow down. And I remember when Trump started talking about making trade barriers and we should bring back manufacturing, which made no sense to me. I was just thinking, it seems like they are getting ready to close down borders. And if the petrodollar goes away and all those dollars come in, we're going to have to make our own stuff because being able to buy imports would be insanely expensive. We already have an inflation problem. That would make worse. There's just a lot going into this. And I see it in the news every single day. All all signs point to uh, shortages across the board, supply chain disruptions, just a shutting down, a slowing down of the yeah. Well, and it's it's funny because people mention the um the like if you mention that there are a lot of birds, chickens being killed right now because of the avian flu, people are like, "Don't worry about that. That happens every year." But it's there's a huge uptick and it's there was one particular Tens story that I thought was of Yeah, years. there's there's one that I I found that was kind of interesting was PETA and other vegans were mad because Rembrandt Farms uh, I think they killed about 2 million birds. And the way they did it is they they turned off the ventilation and turned up the heat. So they were essentially cooked in these cages. And then shortly after, they fired every single employee at the farm. And I'm like... What, what's the story with that? Is this and normal? Certainly that's not going to keep it quiet. What did you... Why did they fire everybody? That that I did not I because did not they don't have any chickens left. But I'm I'm I'm, I'm thinking yeah they, they essentially killed all of because of the way their farm worked all of the chickens were close enough for everything to have been infected. So wow. it, there was no separation. And, and so I guess they don't need the workers. So inhumane. I saw I don't know if it was a documentary or a short just talking about how like the previous avian flu things. If you actually look at the chickens that they were saying were sick. They were basically had blisters and sickness and stuff because of all the feces they were in, because of the heat lamps, because they couldn't move, that these were just the natural consequences of a very unhealthy environment. But now that they have PCR tests, you don't even have to be sick. You know, asymptomatic sickness is the most insidious thing that's emerged from all of this. And it actually was from AIDS, too. My brother, when he died of AZT poisoning, when he went to the doctor and got a positive PCR test for that, he had no symptoms at all. Wow. And he only got sick after he started taking the AZT. So that well, had, started with that. And poor Carrie Mullis, what a legacy. I know. And at least you can feel safe knowing that Bill Gates is still out there telling everyone <laughs> that the worst is still probably yet to come. Like, I don't know if you saw that. that I did see headline. that. <laughs> I did see that. And I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that he did say a few things along the way that weren't true about like the big spikes in December. I don't, the only way that that could really happen seems to me is if they're actually pushing out more of a of a new virus because yeah. if something's already out there you can see even if it's an artificial virus it's it's coming out as something that uh maybe is more pervasive but makes people less sick which is the natural course right. that's what those San Bernardino doctors told us well, and that's the um, that's the thing with Bill Gates is he he said that and then he actually qu- qualified. Okay, maybe five percent chance that things will get worse, and then they they cut to a doctor who said, "I don't see any problem with this. This Omicron strain, as it is right now, isn't isn't dangerous. People are you know people are dying less, etc." That's true. I noticed that just from my own personal observation that there's the cases can go up, but the hospitalizations aren't going up, and I, I just. I I just don't even think people would fall for the fear at this point unless they actually came up with 
a new strain, but I just, I'm exhausted by it, but I feel like they're just sliding into the Ukraine thing and sliding into the climate thing. And this was all just putting stuff in place and they don't need another round of it. It's been about two years already. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is Bill Gates just wrote a book about this and needs to garner some support to get people to buy this book. Uh, But also one of the things that I saw the other day that I didn't get to mention is there was a report that due to climate change, that there would be up to 4,000 different viruses that would cross animal between animals and humans by, I forget what the year was, but as climate change progresses. And I mean, it's just fear mongering. Which yes. I think I think it goes to show. I I found an article uh, titled "Putin may soon um, Putin may soon declare war on Ukraine." U.S. and Western officials say. I read this article looking for any anything that told me exactly what made them say this. Their only bit of information is a Russian propaganda is going up, and b uh, Victory Day of May 9th is coming up. And that's when they say that Putin's going to declare war on Ukraine. That's the that's World the long War II the short Victory Day, right? That's yeah. May 9th is a World War II day. Mm-hmm. When they took out the the Nazis, and so they're going to use that denazification conversation yes. to yes. start this new war. But that's not evidence. That's just conjecture. Although and- <laughs> I didn't even think they were going to invade in the first place. <laughs> you know, I just didn't really think that. So yeah. who knows? And I've kind of. I've kind of come to the conclusion that the Ukraine stuff is what is what you see is what you get. Putin's doing it because that's what his people want him to do. And the reason he pops up and, and cooperates with whatever it is from international bankers to, you know, the ISIS storyline and all of that is because that's the way the world is. He's not going to shoot himself in the foot. He's not a crusader, but he is, I think, doing what he's doing for the reasons for pri- primarily because the people in his country want him to defend the Russophones in Ukraine. So I do think yeah. that's authentic and I, but I do think that he's a, a world player. So not every, he's not come out swinging on everything. He's not going to defeat the world economic forum. He's going to ex- try to exploit it probably like everybody would. So, so we'll see if anything happens on May 9th and six days from now, but it, ju- I, this may just again, be people trying to drum up, some American support for fighting in right. Ukraine. So here's the thing though, the, like all of these things, Ukraine, the um, COVID, the climate, all of this stuff is going towards obviously a pretty massive reset of the economy, the world, food shortages, supply chain issues, labor shortages, all of these things are plugging into probably a highly surveilled, um, very automated, low choice environment, commodification, like really look, think of USSR style, like block buildings. Yes. Okay. They paint them pink and green now, but there's still just concrete slabs that have absolutely no ornamentation, whatever that are very good for surveillance that are very, you know, equal in that they all look the same. Everyone's going to get the exact same amount of square footage. And, but these disruptions are being used to change the world, either to move us into veganism. You know, they're now some of these countries are, um, they're subsidizing wheat, soybean production, even moving away from wheat into like soy and corn. And, and, you know, you can question, but that that's like the vegan move and the labor shortages move into like, you know, iPads will be your new McDonald's employee, which a lot of people like. (laughs) 
Do you, uh, do you know who one of the top three owners of Beyond Meat is? Beyond Meat, I think it's Gates. Meat. Gates owns one of them. Oh, BlackRock owns it directly. Is yeah, they, it's not they, a public I, company? It's a public it, company, but they're company one of the three BlackRock, top yeah. owners. It's, I forget okay. what the other two were because BlackRock stood out. But Gates they, owns a big piece of it. Wild. Yeah. Like I, I'm not going to you know, it. No one me, wants it. Yeah, it makes me sad because like a lot of pension funds and stuff, BlackRock, people have their money in it without realizing. You know, BlackRock yeah. is you, right? So, right. or whoever, somebody who has a little retirement egg. Uh, yes, yeah, so nobody wants it. It's terrible. And and it what could be more highly processed? The idea that veganism is better for you, uh, even if you could argue that, which I, I don't, I think that it gets confused because too much protein is not good for you. So they act like veganism is not, but, but to argue that that highly processed soy based fake meat is good for you, that's a real stretch, but they do. And if it's not good for you, it's good for the environment, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, one of the things that came up, speaking of the labor shortage is it's confusing to me and I need your opinion on this because mm -hmm. the way they talk about it, it it's. So the U.S. labor market uh, in March had a record 4.5 million workers quitting their jobs. Um, and a lot of them, apparently, they, they, were, they had asked why. And these are people that are in the professional and business sectors and construction. And most of them are moving because they don't want to go back to their offices and they want remote jobs. Okay. And and so I mean I I understand that. I don't want to go back to an office. I don't want to do this stuff anymore. But with, throughout this article, you know, 4.5 million people are are quitting, but in spite of record number of quits, hiring outpaced them in every sector. Okay, so I've been looking I've been following the story for a while, and I just noticed it because I just don't believe it. Labor shortage makes no sense. It makes no sense. You don't you don't shut down everything and then end up with labor shortage. This just, this stuff has been so upside down. So uh, I see, so I, it catches my eyes when there's something that's a little off the official narrative. And one of the big reasons that people said they were quitting. And one of the articles I read in the wall street journal a couple of weeks ago was that they weren't getting enough hours at their jobs. So they were quitting, not because they didn't like their jobs, but because they were getting kind of sucked into temp and gig stuff where People would, companies would overhire, and that may have been a function of the stimmy check era. They would overhire because, and I, and my guess, it didn't say it in there, but my guess is that Obamacare or stimmy checks or whatever promote the gig economy because your regulatory requirements are lower if somebody gets fewer hours. So if you hired two 30 hour people, I think it's like 30 hours you actually would not have to pay either of them Obamacare. But if you right. hired one 35-hour, you might. So that's so people are saying, well, they're overhiring, and then I'm not getting my hours, so I'm going to try to find another job. And then they go to the another job, and they're not happy there either. So that was some of the stuff I was reading. But it's a little hard to really gather the truth because, A, the government has kind of appropriated the role of, of all information gathering, and you can't trust them because they're highly agenda-driven and they play games with numbers and all that. And then a lot of the other stuff, all well, the journalism is obviously crap too, and it's really anecdotal, also agenda-driven. So I just I try to pull stuff that's counter 
narrative. So because why, you know, they, they're obviously pushing an agenda. So if they have something that's against the agenda, I want to pay extra attention to that. Yeah. But I'm worried because I feel like with inflation, with the, um, so you see housing prices go up, you see people throwing away good jobs. And then I, I cannot help but feel like we're going to have some serious stagflation as all these companies move towards automation and they blame, blame the labor shortage for that. Then a couple of years from now, interest rates are through the roof. People can't buy houses. They don't have their jobs anymore. There are no jobs to go back to. And if you're looking for remote work, beware. If your job allows you to come back, go back. Because if you say, eh, I need a remote job, you are going to be replaced by someone in India for a quarter of the price. Eventually, yeah. that's a real, real risk. So, uh, yeah, so there's uh, a lot of different things. It, it feels like, you know, I have this thing about perfect storm. Everything's a perfect storm. So this food shortage thing, all the things we're talking about will contribute to this perfect storm. But of course, what we haven't seen yet writ large, although I, I see it bubbling up and I'm sure it's going to be the thing that knocks it out of the park, like the bases are loaded and what is going to get this food shortage? Where is it coming? Is that it's a, the crops suffer from the weather. And that's really what the bottom line is going to be. Like you can keep the animals alive probably, but the crops suffer. We've already talked about, I have seen little articles only because I look for them, that the drought in the U.S. has created crop failures or, or just different decisions uh, uh, from farmers that they might not otherwise have decided. And that's how they're probably going to regulate, subsidize, craft, shape the, the farming world. And cause I wonder since I've been out here, like you see the, you see the chemtrails so much, like it's just so obvious what they do. Sometimes they accidentally put them under a cloud. So you can see like that it's silver. It's not, water vapor. You can actually see that there's something in it. And it usually just pushes the clouds down. So when you expect rain, you don't actually get the rain because it pushes that cloud table down so that it's like below the precipitation rate and it has a real like fluorescent feel like fluorescent lights. But I just wonder why do they keep robbing us of rain? Some people think that they're pushing the rain out into the middle of the country to get to the soybeans, but I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing people complaining of the droughts all over the place. And I figured it was to get to where you couldn't even grow your own stuff, the industrial farming like inside. And that's what gets, that's what actually can get animal diseases into human beings like E. coli. I think I heard it on higher side chats where they said that the, the way they treat cattle now, the corn finish and all that, that changes the environment of their stomachs. And that creates this new breed of E. coli that we've never been exposed to before. So once it, so if we do get exposed to this, we get sick because we don't have natural immunities to it. So the more they, they make the food production artificial, I think from what I understand, the more vulnerable we are to illnesses that other, that, that are, um, cultivated in this animal community, domesticated animals that we just get more and more foreign to what we're used to. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. And the the fact that because of the drought, they're moving towards soybeans is it, that's not accidental. That's not accidental. Why do you say that? Because that's the protein crop. <laughs> well, no, not because it's the. I mean, yeah, of course, there's some practical reasons, but because of the effect that it has on men. 
in particular. Oh, because of the population stuff. I really want to talk about yeah. that. Even in the in the XR, I think I want to get to some population stuff. Yeah, soy is bad for you. I can't eat wheat at all. So I, I corn, I'm who was I talking to? Dr. Hill, who said I, I expected him to say, I said, What 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 do you attribute this massive decline in health that he was seeing or increase in some kind of cancer. I can't remember exactly what we're talking about. And I thought he was going to say corn syrup or vaccines. And he said seed oil. Yeah. Seed seed oil. oil. People fighting seed oils on Twitter has been a big thing lately. Like, like yeah, like I've, I've seen people whose entire, like on their username, it says something about being against or their bio. It says something about being against seed oil. And that's not something I'd ever yeah, I mean, much less. Some, sometimes I think that that all of this bad food and stuff, I know big ag has its own business interests, but they go hand in hand with big pharma in being happy if we're malnourished, hungrier, obese, yeah. sick, all that stuff goes together. But that's not to to this big energy, which I do not think is dead in the water. One of the things, though, that said biofuels, they're going to repurpose biofuels back to food. And I thought biofuels was what was going to pull away um, the demand for fossil fuels. So, but, you know, big energy has a lot of power. So you can't call, not, you know, count them out either. Yeah. Well, and, and not to mention that I read today that BP, their profit more than doubled due to exceptional oil trading oh so they do you know what that means Uh, well what it looks like from reading the article it looks like because the price went up so bad so much lately they had a windfall that's how that's how the article reads i think think the way they do it like it's very specific because the people who need the oil contract way in advance Mm. so it's quite possible that they locked in a lot of contracts at a higher price and then pushed it out at a lower price because that's what they mean. I think that's kind of what they mean by trading. I I don't think they're in the business of trading, just proprietary speculative trading. I think it's about hedging and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I feel like even, even the oil prices, the fuel prices going up and for some like totally inexplicable reason, there's transportation issues and trucking and rail. Like it just doesn't, not even real good reasons. So you have this competition for it, which actually slows it down. But then you also have the prices rising, which will all feed into rising food prices. And just like everything else, fuel prices going up and food prices so regressive. It really hurts people where a hundred percent of your income. And up most of my life, that was 100% of my income. Necessities were 100% of my income. It was only maybe two years ago, we, we started to save money. I mean, you know, you just, that is, that will hurt. Well, yeah. And it, and it hurts to read this sentence. Um, the UK based energy giant BP said Tuesday that its underlying profits soared to 6.2 billion from 2.6 billion in the same period last year. What? BP? Yeah, BP. Not not to not to mention, I mean, of course, you well, know, guess, last year yes, people yes, were driving Bensonville, slightly right? yeah. left less. No, no, I don't think slightly same time, left. I think quite a bit less. But at the same time, you, when oil prices have shot up 40% and they're like, oh, we're doing exceptional trading. No, I think I think you're taking advantage <laughs> of us. I'm not gonna lie about that. <laughs> well, the weird thing about the oil prices, gas price, gasoline prices, especially out here, is that they have that ratchet effect, like Levi- crisis and Leviathan. 
it goes, they go up, but they really never go back down. Even when, yeah. so there was a huge oil price spike and gasoline prices went through the roof a long time ago. I remember it. And then the price of oil plummeted. I think we were trying to kneecap Russia yet again for whatever reason. I think it was like seven years ago. And and the price of oil plummeted, but the gasoline prices were nowhere near as low as they had been before it had spiked. And before it had spiked, the prices were higher. So I, I'm always baffled by how they manage that. But out well, here, the taxes are so high that it actually a big proportion of it is just taxes. Yeah, and it hurts here in particular because, you know, like last year we'd gotten down to about one. I think I paid one ninety nine for a tank for a gap for a <laughs> gallon of gas. And now it's like four twenty something. Oh, which it's is like normal for it's you. Almost Seven dollars here. Yeah. Or good for you. But like for us, that's yeah. like so noticeable. Oh, it's yes. Ridiculous. Absolutely. Yes. But see, we we have such fun chatting that we <laughs> we go over. So we do have the deepest dive of the day, which we're supposed to leave extra space for. Um, and we will really, we have got so much on this. It's we're going to try to get to the bottom of the leaked Supreme Court draft overturning Roe v. Wade. And in the XR, we're going to talk about that too, because <laughs> I've got so much stuff. And I also want to hit a little bit of the population bust, which... I caught my eye when I heard Elon Musk say I'm, my, the biggest thing I'm worried about is the population bust. I was like, whoa, what? Better watch <laughs> out. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And a big thanks to our thanks to today's sponsor. I always love True Hemp Science. They are such big supporters of our show. And I think maybe even your show can. Yeah, he, he sent us over some stuff one time and it was the best stuff. I just, so. yeah, I'm a true believer and I don't, I don't like uh, mind-altering substances because I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I like my cocktails, but I'm not going to sit around getting high. But I just, I love the CBD oil and I like the little gummies and um, the brownies and stuff are a little treat. And I find it makes it easier for me to kind of, you know, unwind after dinner. And uh, yeah, they're very high quality stuff. And also... If you, so we love it when you prom, uh, support our sponsors, but also you can support us. You can support Brad, me, and Cam all on Rockfin. So it's my show, Cam. So I'm going to say go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report and sign up there and you will get all of my future material, all of Brad's future material, Brad and me doing our um, still teaming up for the deep dives live and you can also get cam stuff, but if you pull for the uh, for the up and comer, then you can go to rockfin.com slash the mad ones <laughs> and give him first bite at the apple. Otherwise, go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report. But in any case, you can find all the same material from us and all of the exclusive content from the many, many, many fantastic contributors to Rockfin. It's a great, great platform. I love it. And with that, on to the deepest dive of the day. How wild is it, Monica, that yesterday yes. we had a tiny blip where we talked about yes. Uber and Lyft. Yes. And I, I, I just said, you know, they're taking it to Roe versus Wade. They're going to yeah. try to take that out. And I just yeah. kind of said it and moved on with my yeah. day. Yes. <laughs> and I am, I've always been of the opinion. So there was a Mississippi case before the Supreme Court and they were ruling on it and they leaked an opinion that seems to say, well, the opinion absolutely says that they are going to overturn Roe versus Wade. Why don't you? This is because of the Mississippi law that said at 15 weeks gestation, uh, there would be no more abortion. Under, uh, I think I don't know if it had any exceptions at all, but it was pretty close. 
And uh, what? Uh, why don't you read your quote to us there, buddy? So yeah, so um, Jackson Women's Health Organization. That's the that's the the case. But the first line that I read out of this uh, document written by Alito, the draft for the official majority opinion to end Roe versus Wade, he said, we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. Yeah. And I, so it's funny, Cam, that you and I have a lot of overlap in what we're interested in. And uh, when when I'm with Brad, like we never have the same stories, but in this one, we had the same. So I actually had the 14th Amendment. I had it all written out already when I saw that that was the quote you were bringing. It's so I've always objected to the way the 14th Amendment has been read. It incorporation doctrine. Yes. I don't I think both from a textual basis when you read it and from an originalist basis, if you understand why they wrote it that way, that it does not mean what people think it means. What people think it means is that everything in the Constitution, it all the rights that are in the Constitution are granted to the citizens of the states and that the states cannot make laws concerning that. So really it's been, it was actually said expressly, I think more than once that those first eight amendments in the bill of rights apply only to the citizens relationship with the federal government and not the States. It's said that before. And that, and the originalist, if I, if I recall correctly, they made that clear. I might have some quotes about it. Uh, I have a few quotes I'd like to read. And I think that that'll pretty much support my position if that's okay with you. Go for it. All right. So the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. 14th Amendment is quite long. It's a Reconstruction Era amendment that had a very dubious path to passage, although I think if you took a vote right now, it would pass. So I'm going to consider it good law. But it has a the Equal Protection Clause is all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. And my understanding of how it was meant to read was that if a black guy and a white guy are in a state and they commit the same crime, they should be treated the same way. Yeah. And that wasn't always the, the case. It is it is a lot of it is about making it putting it down in writing that the freed slaves were American citizens. And that the states couldn't make separate laws right. for them. Yes. They couldn't okay. treat them differently because of because of their heritage as a slave. Right. Okay. So that's the privileges. So let's see. So it almost seems like all of these decisions have nothing to do with that. Okay, like I, I want to keep reading. I, I really like to go into the history. So if you don't mind, I don't that's like good. reading, but I do like to get in the history. Okay, so that's the privileges <laughs> or immunities. And it says the, but there's also privileges and immunities that are in the Constitution previously that this was kind of making a callback to. It says the rights and privileges. So what are those rights and privileges? What are the privileges and immunities? That's what you're asking. Is it every little thing? Is it the stuff in the eight Bill of Rights? What is it? Is it of citizens? Is it of states? It says the rights and privileges of a citizen of the United States were defined by Congress in the Civil Rights Act of 1866. 
All persons within the jurisdiction of the United States shall have the same right in every state and territory to make and enforce contracts, to sue, be parties, give evidence, and to the full and equal benefit of all laws and proceedings for the security of persons and property as is enjoyed by white citizens and shall be subject to like punishment, pains, penalties, taxes, licenses, and exactions of every kind and to no other. Uh, and it says, so in the Constitution itself, it says the citizens of each state shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities of citizens in the several states. Um, and that seemed to say what those privileges and immunities were. Now, Bingham, who I think was the one who crafted that 14th Amendment, said, I hope the gentleman now knows why I changed the form of the amendment of February 1866. Mr. Speaker, that the scope and meaning of the limitations imposed by the first section, 14th Amendment of the Constitution, may be more fully understood, permit me to say that the privileges and immunities of citizens of the United States, as contradistinguished from citizens of a state, are chiefly defined in the first eight amendments to the Constitution of the United States. So it says the privileges and immunities of citizens of the state as contradistinguished from citizens of a state are defined by the first eight amendments of the Constitution. So, oh, wow. So maybe he did mean it to be. Let's think about that for a second. Say, say that last bit again. Yeah, the scope and meaning of the limitation imposed by the first section of the 14th Amendment should be more on. Let me tell you that the privileges and immunities of citizens of the United States, as opposed to citizens of a state, are chiefly defined in the first eight amendments of the Constitution. Wow. I might have to change my... Originalist well, well, it's, it's 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 shifting the the concept of citizenship from the idea that was that was there then, which was I am a citizen of Virginia, I am a Virginian, to you I am a citizen citizen of the United States, I'm an American. So that's okay, the so, flip that he's making. So let's think about those first eight amendments. So the first one applies expressly to Congress. The mm -hmm. second one is. Also, it's about the militias. It deals with the states separately, individually. Mm -hmm. Then I guess you could say like the fourth, fifth, sixth, the stuff that has to do with juries and trials and stuff. You, you want to think that they're federal. I happen to have my constitution right here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to look at that. Uh, yeah, Congress is the first one. The militia is the second one. Soldiers are the third one. Uh, no unreasonable search and seizure. No person should be held answerable. Uh, you get grand jury, um, criminal prosecution, common law, excessive bail. And then it says the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall the people. So I can see how those, those middle ones, the first few are clearly about the federal government. The next four, five are about citizens like facing jail criminal stuff and penalties so yeah and also there like the no quartering and all of that a lot of that has also i think had to do federal. with how the the british treated yeah definitely people definitely in the states so i don't think you can incorporate the first three to the states without it being super awkward but he seems to be saying, I'm going to read this one more time. This is not the normal format for the show. I'm sorry, but <laughs> we're thinking this through in real time. Uh, okay. The privileges and immunities of citizens of the United States, as distinguished from citizens of a state, are chiefly defined in the first amendments of the Constitution. No, I think that that means 
that it says uh, citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. Yeah. So no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, property. Okay, but I would still say that that just applies to those middle ones. Because the yeah. last two reserve stuff to the citizen and the state. The first three are federal in nature. It's yeah. Congress shall not. It's militias. And, and I mean, like, the militia one is about each state having that responsibility in the, in the federation. And then the third one is about soldiers. So, uh, you know, how does that, that go? Then that gets you back to the fact that abortion doesn't appear anywhere. The right, right to abortion doesn't appear anywhere. And as a matter of fact, it would be something that was reserved to the states because the policing powers as reserved to the states in the 10th Amendment clearly cover all health, police, marriage, everything. So that's why even that thing about gay marriage was, uh, I think, an oh, unconstitutional oh, ruling. Oh, it was. Well, yeah. and that's the thing. Like it, it coming to marriage. I mean, like, Joe Biden was like, you know, this will bring o o Obergefell into question. And it's like, well, Obergefell is in question. Is should be in question because yeah. one marriage and how everything's done should be done on the state level. But even then personally, I don't want the state to be a part of marriage at all. I, I, right. Totally. I agree with that there. Let's and not do that. <laughs> yes. And that kind of makes me think that they're flipping that. So I always thought I've referred to that many, many times as like these abortion laws are going to get the, the Supreme court to pull an Oberfell so that they're going to just make it where you can't regulate it at all. But Oberfell, or however you pronounce it, was a response to the Defense of Marriage Act by Congress. Mm -hmm. So what they're doing here now is flipping it. So they're going to overturn Roe versus Wade, potentially. I don't know yeah. yet. We'll and then it seemed to me that the way Alito described this, he was asking for a congressional law. It says, it says that it's a state thing. I'm going to... Yeah, he did within the brief. It, it does seem that he's saying that the he uses lawmakers in a way that it makes it sound like it's federal. But if you some of the, the yes. different points I read it, it yeah. he was actually talking about people who directly, okay, you know, hire their in the lawmakers. In the but States. this is full of typos. It is clearly a draft. It, the yeah. other four justices probably haven't chimed in. Thomas will probably write his own opinion. And what it actually says, it says the Constitution, and he said, it says from the beginning that uh, it's even its critics say that Roe versus Wade was written like legislation. Mm. So he, he keeps pointing out that this is really the purview of legislation. And I know you had a quote in there about <laughs> that it was an exercise of. Well, it, it, broad so judicial power. Let, let me just read this one thing. The Constitution, okay. this is out of the, the, the draft. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. Now, the people can be, I mean, in the Constitution, Patrick Henry said, don't say the people, say the states, but it says the people. Yeah. So it could go either way on this. And because... There is this thing that was passed by Congress, the Women's Health Protection Act of 2021. This, doing this would get that passed. And that makes it very clear 
that you cannot regulate abortion at the state level. I want to talk about that uh, some more, but I think we are way over, my friend. <laughs> All way I was going to say is that I read some of it and I don't like how it was written because Alito makes some points, but they're not strong points. He's not making these points of, from constitutionality that I would if I were going to do it. Um, one of the things that he said is um, uh, that precision, the, the provision has been to guarantee some rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution, but any such right must be deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and implicit in the concept of ordered liberty, which yes. he got a, the quote from Washington versus Glucksburg, which I have not read yet. Um, but he he followed that up with the in, the inis, the the wait yeah the inescapable conclusion is that the right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. On the contrary, an unbroken uh, what word rendition? what is that word <laughs> an unbroken rendition of prohibiting abortion on pain of criminal punishment persisted from the earliest days of the common law until 1973. Yeah, see, I saw that too, and I thought that is a weak argument because how old is our country? Two hundred fifty years, get getting on yeah. up there, and re beyond that, and fifty years, and the most recent years have to be weighted more heavily. You could say absolutely that our recent history is is now fully it's fully rooted. Right. Well, now. one of the things that I read in that that original article, the uh, Politico article, was people are going to say, oh, it's been 50 years. It's been my whole life. This is a tradition. But they pointed out a specific decision that had been on the on the books for 60 years before Brown versus Board of Education overturned right. it. And so this is that is not unheard Plessy. of. Plessy v. Ferguson. Plessy. Yes, 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 yes. I couldn't remember the name of it, but I was like, yeah. I remember the second one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so that was 60 years. And so clearly this is this is not breaking precedent for it to break after 49 years. And they also refer to the main opinion in the 1992 Casey decision where Justices Sandra Day O'Connor, Anthony Kennedy, and David Souter warned David Souter, right? Warned there's so many typos in this. Warned that the court would pay a terrible price for overruling Roe, despite criticism of the decision from some in the public and the legal community. So this, they've, those guys in 1992 already acknowledged, and those are, O'Connor was definitely a Republican, acknowledged yeah. that it was already so deeply rooted yeah. in our culture that it would be terrible to overturn it. And that's what I want to talk about in the XR. How, what kind of a splash is this going to make? What are the real implications of this from the fact that a draft was leaked to where it might lead? So shall we? Shall we adjourn to the XR? Let's adjourn to the XR. Okay. I have a great big shout out to Lanny from Greener Postures. You know we love those guys. I actually did this introduction to fermentation um, that she was doing. And she's not a sponsor or anything. She's just a patron. I love her. And uh, it was great. So I had thought that, you know, maybe just watching a YouTube video or whatever would be just as good. It was absolutely not. It was awesome. It was two hours. It was highly interactive. It was very instructional. And when I immediately went and took her great recipes and started making myself sauerkraut, I made uh, 
pickled Vert for Bloody Marys. So I know that was probably not her point, but right out of the gate, my stuff turned out fantastic. And it's because I completely understood what she was saying. I watched her do it and uh, highly recommend. So it was such a success that she's doing it again. So I will be at that Zoom one, but I'll be probably at the later ones when she does a second or a third. So uh, she is the creator of the Preserving Today YouTube channel, and she's the co-host of the World As It Is Today podcast. She's hosting an online fermentation workshop this Sunday, May 15th. It's not this Sunday. That's a week from Sunday. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This Sunday is Mother's Day. So it's a week from Sunday at 2 p.m. Pacific. And uh, she said after the great turnout for last workshop, she's hosting Getting Started with Fermentation for Food Preservation again, and it's going to be live on Zoom. So if you're looking to improve food security, better understand safe food preservation, that was key. Preserve your garden harvest, great. Improve your gut health, absolutely. Limit food waste, totally. She's got me on everyone, ding, 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 ding. And be more self-sufficient, this Greener Postures workshop is for you. Lanny is asking for a minimum $30 donation via Venmo to attend. Along with the live two-hour workshop, you will receive a PDF booklet, which I love, with lots of details on fermentation and food safety, as well as recipes and access to the exclusive Greener Postures Telegram group, where you can stay in touch with Lanny and other workshop attendees to ask questions and share your success with all things food preservation. To sign up, just send Lanny an email at Greener Postures, not Greener Pastures, Greener Postures at ProtonMail.com. And be sure to subscribe to Preserving Today on YouTube. So uh, I'm just so impressed with how she has managed to figure out how to, they they had such a success story resuscitating this family farm of her husband's. And then to be able to deliver this, uh, so she's just so good at the media part of it, like to get that uh, across. I mean, it's really it's really something special. So I highly recommend you do that. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And I hope to my schedule fits in with her second one. We'll see when that happens. And I'm actually going to have her on the show at some point to uh, and her husband just to talk about that success story and, and maybe some pointers for us, man, if she could teach me how to do stuff right <laughs> out of the gate. So anyway, good luck to Lanny and uh, check her out. Give her, drop her an email. I'm sure she'll answer you greenerpostures at protonmail.com. And now on to the XR. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Yes, sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) I can't, it's not my line. It's not my line. I keep it alive though. (laughs) 